This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm your radio, radio show! I'm your radio, Hello and welcome to the Nine or Nine podcast. This week's is a bit of a special follow-up to last week's. As you know, if you listened, um, I was at the first gig back in the Ivy Gardens, um, where James Vincent McMorrow and Sorka Richardson played. It was the first major event to happen in Ireland, major live music event to happen in over 15 months. There has been some small socially distant gigs here and there. But we got an opportunity to talk to James this week about how it came about, what he felt about it. Um, and James was the one who wanted, who got in touch about this because he wanted to have a chat and he didn't, like he says, he didn't just want to do the show and, and feck off. Um, so we talked to him earlier this week about the show and about the return of live music. Myself and Andrea talked to him. Um, there's a lot in this uh, as well. I think there's a lot of uh, interesting discussion, a lot of talk about you know, what could have been done, maybe the ambition that it started with, also what needs to be happened next and how cautious the Irish government and the departments are in terms of getting live events back. And James feels quite strongly about the return of live music and what we need to do to get there. So before I pass you over to him, um, I just want to say you can listen to our chat about it last week uh, on the previous episode. And uh, as ever, patreon.com forward slash 909. If you appreciate what we do, there's a great community over there with a Discord and playlists and stuff like that as well. So you can come and join us there. And in the meantime, let's pass over to James uh, Vince McMorrow speaking to myself and Andrea Cleary. Don't 
so last week you played uh, one of the first events back, uh, the trial event, pilot event in Ivy Gardens. Do you want to start with your your own personal experience of all of that and, and how it felt and, and how it felt to bring your, your band back together and, and do a show? Yeah, I mean, the reason I wanted to talk about it in the post part of it was because I think there was this sort of like, it felt like there was kind of, there was a lovely feeling, but there was also this sort of like self-congratulatory kind of air to it all. And I, the last thing I wanted was to do it and then just like ride off into the sunset and then just think that everything is solved. Because it was this kind of conversation where it was like, we're back. And you're like, yeah, but I'm not sure what that means. But for me, what we got, like, like having seen some of these people at their lowest moments in the last two years, um, people that like, because this is the reality, the things that don't get talked about, the nuance of it all, like there's no... There was no subsidy that I could apply for to subsidize the lost revenue of the 16 people that worked for me last year. You know what I mean? Like they're all independent contractors. They all had to do their own thing. I couldn't go to the government and say, like, we had 10 festivals planned that would have generated X amount of money. So everyone was on their own. So to see them coming back and seeing that sort of like the feeling again and 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 it just in rehearsals and, and like, I know it's cliche to be like, oh, we never take it for granted again. I'm sure at some point we'll all take it for granted again. But I think last week, especially the three days leading up to it, just, I don't know, like it just, it felt like, um, it felt genuinely magical to me. Like it really did. And, and I said that on stage. And I think when you're looking at 500 people and people are watching the staticness of it all, I think you're like, how could this be magical to you? But like, like I, I hated that I couldn't take care of my crew last year. I hated it. it. It it gave me sleepless nights for months and I did crazy things to try and we did two weeks of rehearsals last year where I paid everybody full wages for no reason, just because I wanted to give them something to do. So it was heartbreaking. So like genuinely on a most basic level to just see 20 people back to work plus the other 30 people on top of that was like, it's where they're supposed to be, mm. you know? Can you tell us yeah. a bit about the um, fi- finding out that yes, it's going ahead getting to ring around all those people and say we've we've got work we've we've yeah. we've got it now how how did it all come about for you was it a was it a lot of conversations or how how did all that part of it work out not many conversations for me like okay hundreds of conversations for the, the people that work for me for sure um like it was like it was getting a call everybody and say it and sending texts was like the greatest feeling like mm-hmm. it felt like you're a provider, like you're providing something, not just like monetarily, but like just like emotionally getting to like send everybody a text for the first time in a year and a half and go, you've got a, you've got a fucking show, you've got a gig. Like that's mm. something again that you took for granted, but it was just like such a beautiful thing to be able to do. And everybody was so excited. I mean, up, up until the show got confirmed, I honestly didn't think it was going to happen. I just thought that they would pull the rug out from under us. Because, I mean, we can get to this, but like at, at certain junctures, the show looked like it was going to be a lot more ambitious than it was. And then it got pulled back and paired back and, and things just constantly kept getting changed up until two hours before it got announced on the, on the news. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it was a, a bit of a mad situation. And were you comfortable with, with the level that it was rolled out at? What did, did 500 people feel right to you? No, I think it should have been more, if I'm being perfectly honest. I don't mm. think that like anyone that was watching that um, situation unfold, people are so well-mannered and so excited for this. And I think I understand on a, on a very like uh, clinical level, I understand that I'm, I'm, ambition is not necessarily where they wanted to be. Caution was the word of the mm. day. Um, so on that level, I completely get it. 
But at the same time, I think you have to use your eyes and ears and you have to look at the comps in terms of other industries and what they are and aren't allowed to do. Mm. And you have to look at it and go like 500 people in a, in a, a field that can hold three and a half, four thousand people with two meters between them all is mm. uh, excessive. You know, Definitely. by other industries, think, do you mean do you mean the way that they're going to they intend to be rolling out sport sporting events, for example, which is uh, very different to I th- I I think there's there's going to be a lot more leeway to allow more people to watch a sporting event, for example, than to watch a music event. I think that in terms of like the way you corral people and stuff like that, I think that there's definitely going to be more leeway. And from basic on the basic optics of the thing, again, looking at, at sporting events and, and how what they're saying mm. up to a thousand, up to five thousand. I think there was a, a Shamrock Rovers match. There's there's different they're having higher levels and they're saying we're in a stadium, we can seat people. But again, it's 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 the inconsistency of it all, I think, that doesn't get talked about. Yeah. I, I'm such a I was just my overriding instinct was to just do this. I, I just wanted it to happen. I want the conversation to happen. The reason I'm speaking to you now is because I know that there's an the, the conversation might dip off and I want to keep it going a bit longer. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do yeah. I totally understand um that impetus and that uh, feeling you have that you wanted to do this and you want to be involved. Um and you know, from a personal and uh professional uh basis. Can I ask if like what was communicated in advance in terms of because we talked about this last week when because I was there and I had I had a lovely time and I had I felt a lot of feelings and I felt a lot of I, I, I got to be social with people in my industry. You were all a flutter now when time. you were telling me about it. You really I were. was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was and I was Keep like going. it was genuinely heartening. Yeah. And I guess you know, yeah, there's parts of it there that was like, this is a great window, a start uh, point back to where we want to go. But obviously, what was communicated in advance to you in terms of what it was trialing or piloting? Because I think that's what, at the moment, what people are kind of going, what was it for? Yeah, yeah, I know? completely get that. I think that in the beginning, there was a lot more ambition. I think that you have to acknowledge that there's nuance and context to all these things. And I think the big... The big context was that Delta variant situation like happening mm. where like I think that people people like there's this sort of like very binary conversation that happens in these things. It's if people that are on board are like, this is amazing. Like people that aren't on board are like, this is terrible, regardless of what you do or how it how it unfolds. They're going to be like this. And, and the reality is in that gray area in the middle. I think when they rolled out the pilot events in the UK, like my agent does, Liz, the agent for Blossoms, and he did that show. And, and that was at that point where like the sky was was blue and everything was opening up and, and they were like, we're going to do this and we're going to like gather data and we're going to look at the reality of it. I think had they been doing that now, it would have been a very different situation because I think that they would have gone into it a lot more cautiously because obviously there's these situations now that that throw the variables off and throw the, you have the caution level goes up. Mm. So that was the one thing I know that when we had the first conversation that the way, the way we were talking about it and the way that like, like my management were talking about it was a lot more ambitious. And then as the conversation went on and those different um, variants started to show up in the country, it became a lot more cautious. It went from, you know, like 1500 people to a thousand to 500 to wherever it ended up 600, including guests. And um, mm. there, like, there was a lot, just a lot of different things that happened. I, I think that's, it, it probably was always going to be cautious. And I think if you looked at it as like a pilot scheme to gather information, then that's that's not what was that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. The way I was looking at it, and my sincere hope for it is that the, what they were trying to set out was a template that could be rolled out across the country, that that 
that's what I want. The reason I'm talking to you is because that's that's the only my only interest here is to make sure that people go that they don't get to ride off into the sunset like they did one little thing and then they just do nothing for this industry. That mm-hmm. that has to be a template that they roll out because it was a viable template. It was static and strange in a lot of ways, but we had the fucking time of our lives because we're getting to play music again. And as you said, now like you got to be social in your industry. You got to take in this thing that's been lost to you for a year and a half. So it, it, once you move past the weird staticness of it, it's a viable premise, but it has to be rolled out as an actual thing. It can't just be this like weird test subject that you, you gather no information from or do nothing or act upon. You know, yeah, and there's th- yeah. there's an argument there that, you know, that the testing and the data collection side of things, it it if it, it feels like it's it should not at all be in the hands of promoters and bookers and the music industry because God, they've they've enough to be doing with organizing these things it seems to me that the go- the government have the the onus is on the government there to um to make sure that these things are rolled out responsibly and by responsibly i mean actually taking data and actually seeing yeah. what 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 this thing can do because at the moment this this went off so well there was no issues so where is the incentive to push it, I suppose? Where is the incentive to go to a thousand people, to go to 1500 people? There isn't because all we can see is this binary. Oh, we tried this and it worked. So let's yeah. just keep doing it like this until the pandemic's over. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be worried about that as well. Yeah, there are a few things about that in terms of like the caution aspect of it. You know, I mean, you look at, you talk about the Delta variant stuff, but like at the same time, whether you believe it, whether you agree with it or not, the UK is going ahead with a download festival this Friday with 10,000 people uh, on a camping uh, bus. So that's happening in the UK, regardless of the Delta variant. Also, you know, I mean, I guess the main thing is that people will look at, at, and and there was quite a lot of negativity afterwards in terms Mm -hmm. of what does this achieve? And I understand where that's coming from. Um. And I guess the question is, why are we so cautious, do you think, in terms of why we're doing this? In, in terms of, because is it's not really realistic to have socially distant gigs. We can't, promoters can't make money, artists no. can't make money. No. Um, it's not the same experience. You know, obviously, we all look at the Liverpool events that happened and Blossoms and the, and the DJs thing where there was no social distancing. For me, I'm still waiting for, okay, this is lovely. But for me personally, I'm like, okay, when do we get to the point where we talk about no social distancing happening and what do we need to get that done? Because that's the only way that we're going to get past back to normal, essentially. Yeah, I think that like obviously the conversation like on a wider level needs to move past like coronavirus or COVID-19 more specifically being like this like sort of year and a half anomaly and being a part of our lifetime. You know what I mean? Like it's it's probably going to be with us like as in terms of like a, a flu like for the rest of our yeah. lifetimes. And the conversation does need to progress to something that normalizes the situation. Uh, you know, you can, it's it's impossible to, I guess, you know, the instinct is to compare and contrast countries because, you know, you're looking at other countries. I'm looking at America and I'm thinking, I could just go to America and play a full tour, like 3,000 people a night in July, no problem at all. But obviously America has the biggest, richest healthcare system on the planet. They have enough vaccine to cover every single person on the planet twice over <laughs> like, like the, it's 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 not the same thing and, and you want it to you, you want that you want that to get back to normal ireland has proven itself to be unbelievably cautious and very like um like not ambitious at any juncture through this whole process so for them to suddenly throw caution to the wind for the music industry at this point i think would be incredibly out of step with 
how they have been this whole time. I can't say I'm I'm surprised that um, they they ended up in such a cautious place with the show. I was there to do the most ambitious thing that was possible to me, and we from from a, a musical perspective that that's all I I could know to do. And I ch- I took a, a role within it to be um, positive during the the run up to it rather than throwing bombs because I felt like I'm not sure what to be gained at that point. And not yeah. that now I'm going to be throwing bombs, but I'm certainly like, I'm not, I wasn't just like some passive willing participant in it. I think that there was a much more ambitious route through it. And I think that had they taken, what bummed me out was had they taken the more ambitious route, we'd be talking here now about how, what a success a thousand people was mm-hmm. and how that yeah. was so much closer to a viable rollout because you're absolutely right now. There's no, there's no money to be made in this, like 500 tickets, uh, like at that price point with that type of, like bureaucracy and logistics around it is like it's not a it's a non-starter they have to normalize the process and that's why i want to progress the conversation because they have to roll back some of the red tape they have to make it more viable they have to make it if you can go to ikea and buy a bedside table and they're not like outside ikea with the clicker going okay we've had 500 people through the shop today we're shutting it down then you can't tell me that having a thousand people in a giant field that are all incredibly mindful, incredibly watchful of each other and are there for the right time isn't a viable thing. They just have to, they have to move it to a point where it becomes viable. I am unwilling to accept that we did this thing and caution, and that's the base point. I think it has to, mm. it can get more and more ambitious and it has to, because we yeah. can't go to the UK's point. Like we're not where they are. We're not where other countries are, but also other countries are below us as well. You have to accept that as well, that this is where we're not, you know, top of the class. We're not bottom of the class. We, we, we're we doing something, but it has to be something. It can't just be performative nonsense. Mm. And I, I just won't accept that. Mm. Yeah, with the gigs in, in that the trials in the UK and the things that came out of it, only 15 out of a possible 58,000 people have so far tested positive. And that was uh, from the events research program. Um, obviously, they have changed their restrictions from uh, June twenty first to nineteenth July because yeah. of COVID cases. But I don't think that's I don't think that's a major surprise because I think no. uh, the UK, like yeah, you saw talk about comparing and contrasting things. UK is a bit more like uh, forthright in terms of how they're doing it, and then even in the US they have the opposite problem of trying to like Chicago. Uh, they're given trying to give away twelve hundred Lollapalooza tickets as an incentive for people to get vaccinated. So that yeah. is even their issue. Yeah. Where where are my my WhatsApp group this morning is people in their in their late thirties going. When are they open the vaccination thing? I want to, I want to register. Do you know yeah. what I mean? There's yeah. a palpable like sense of I want to be vac- vaccinated. I want this to happen. Yeah. And I guess that's the next point because we're actually we're in the point where okay, most of the older people in our lives are vaccinated now, at least one dose. So that kind of um anxiety that you might hurt somebody or worse is no longer there. Yeah. And so so then there has to be some recognition of that context as well for these events. It's like, okay, yes, the majority of people who go to events are young and therefore most of them aren't vaccinated at the moment. And then you're seeing all these other pilot events like that Phoenix Park one is three and a half thousand people uh, or I think it's in Emma now. Um, so I don't know sure how, I think for me, I really need to see the, those things like antigen tests included in those so that we actually see that they aren't just like, they're not even trial gigs. They're just like events to put on. And I can totally understand why people go, right, this is just like a, a PR exercise. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So 
so we really need that next. So what can we do in terms of like, I mean, I know it's up to promoters and 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 the people who are putting on those gigs to push those things. Um, I understand the National Concert Hall like being the first people putting it on. And also, in fairness to uh, NCH, they don't normally put on outdoor events either. So no. that's another part of all this that's maybe lost. And I do hate this like social media kind of, uh, yeah, binary uh a discussion where you're like it looks shit i'm not going and actually like what i said last week it was like i think sometimes i think the videos don't do it justice because no, actually it was actually such a lovely occasion well, I, and it didn't feel empty in any I way i said to you no. last you know I mean? week now looking at the videos that um that level of distance between people i was i was really relieved to see it like, i i didn't go to it um because i'm i'm still a bit ner- i'm on the very cautious side of things just for me personally i'm very pro um the music industry getting back to where it needs to be or at least there not being this disparity between where music is and where sport is and where pubs are um and i i looked at those videos and i was like oh that looks safe that looks lovely but i don't see why Mm -hmm. it couldn't go out further or back further do you know what i mean like there's there was plenty of space there um it looked it looked good but it's also not what i want gigs to look like for the rest of my life or even for the rest of this year do you know i wonder what what I've been thinking is I've I've also been seeing videos and pictures from outdoor dining and uh, pubs and people having drinks and you know p- pedestrianizing streets where you can have all these people outside. I mean, there's probably over five hundred people and they're a lot closer. What do you what, what what do you think it is, James? About the specifically, I think about the live events and music industry. Why is there such a reluctance for the government to allow risk at all? And is, is it the same thing as, as the conversation that's been happening about nightlife in this country for however yeah. many years that this has been going on? Namely, people go to gigs to get drunk and young people don't know how to behave themselves. Yeah, I think all of these things go hand in hand. I think that there's like, um, Ireland, because Ireland is a really anomalous, interesting country in the sense that it's a small country but it's english speaking so the potential for music to go a big and beyond is 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 quite outsized you know what i mean mm. like it's it's like we have a, a a population comparable to a lot of you know like central european smaller countries but they don't have the musical industry that we have they don't have the artists that we have these huge like world beating stars mm. it's 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 a really unusual thing here but because it's so small I think everything starts on a kind of a governmental level. I think that that's something you need to acknowledge that every artist that comes through tends to at some point get support from either the Arts Council or from um, First Music Contact or one of these like in, like industry Arts Council funded setups that are there to like fund people going to South by Southwest or all these different things. So we have this situation where it's not institutionalized, but even those those companies, which are to, to a degree like lobbying groups and advocates on behalf of the music industry, they are still kind of to a degree, to a large degree, beholden to the government, hmm. you know, on that level, yeah. which means that the conversation here, it, 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 it's it's never been as belligerent as it is in other countries, because I think there's always that like slight fear in the back of your head where if I say the wrong thing or I do the wrong thing, my funding might get pulled. And I, maybe that hmm. sounds a little bit like conspiracy theorists. That's not my intention. I just think it's a reality of it. I think it, 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 it would affect how a lot of people interact with with these conversations because they just want to make sure that they get that license for that festival next year. Like if you come out and start throwing bombs about, I want this, I'm going to set up, I'm going to do a show, fuck this, fuck that, then 
there's this very real situation where like you might find yourself without that license you need to play that outdoor show in Malahi Castle next year or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. I, I do think that that on, a, on an almost an inception point level with the Irish music industry, it, especially on an artist side and a management side and different stuff, there is this in the sense that like, just do the thing, do it within the framework of what's provided. Um, I think that has then fed into maybe on a wider scale where like arts here is, is seen as like, we're, we're such honest brokers. Like I remember last year when everything started shutting down, there was a, a press release from, somebody advocating on behalf of musicians and, and, the, and the industry wider. And it said, you know, we've lost like 40 million euros worth in ticket sales. And I remember thinking, why pick such a low number? Mm. Why aren't you picking the number that is actually reflective of for every one euro that gets spent on a ticket, 20 or 30 probably gets spent on drink and food and the wages and all the and tax, the tax base that we provide to the country and then beyond that. It's, it's art and culture is seen as such an integral ingrained part of society here. But I actually think that it, it can be almost negative in that sense. I think that there's this idea that it's always going to be there regardless mm. of what happens. There'll mm. always be someone that'll pick up that guitar and sing that song for you. There'll always be that thing. You go to that pub and you find that thing. And it's, 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 it's treated way lower, I think, Oh, not I think, I know, then it deserves to be treated. I think that we, like that show last week, the amount of hoops that we had to jump through to make that work, and happily so. But I was looking in the eyes of people, I was listening, I had, you know, at one point I had an argument with someone, they were talking about different protocols on the day, and I was like, this is insane. You're, you're never going to be able to repeat this, and no other industry is being asked to do this. And you're telling us that we need to do this, and we're willing to do it. But I was like, I just need to say to you that this is an untenable situation. You need to... You need to temper that. You need to find the middle ground and create this. But yet again, it was that thing where like the music industry feels like sort of like the the unwanted stepchild or something. Mm. That's that's my sense of it. Is that is that like yeah. we we provide so much, we, we we contribute so much money to the to the the country, like more than Amazon, more than these bigger huge con- countries or, or conglomerates that they they bend over backwards to to keep happy. But because yeah. of the diffuse nature of the music industry, it's just hard to... Well, isn't that one of the things that's happened now recently in, like, since the pandemic is that, you know, we've had, like, artist representative bodies and uh, industry representative bodies like Epic or mm-hmm. MEAI or whoever it is that who have just actually come together and are representing the interests of the people who previously didn't have to be represented because... Yeah. Like the commercial promoters did not need um, government support prior to this. Yeah. Um, that can be a good thing. But there has always been the idea that uh, it has been underappreciated. Arts yeah. and culture here is underappreciated, especially music and popular music, mm. you know, uh, like it's not to diss on other genres, but like in terms of, you know, it's funding, it's always seems to be a scrap. Like you, you mentioned the first music contact earlier on, the amount of money they get compared to what they actually do yeah. it's like 80 grand a year but like yeah. they do so much with it yeah so it's those kind of things it's like why it's like yeah ireland irish music always does well regardless of how much it gets so therefore it's justified it does well despite how much it gets exactly so therefore yeah. people go well it's obviously fine yeah yeah <laughs> but, but what if we did more you know what i mean and the same with the give us the night campaign you know you're seeing and i what i what i really appreciate about the give us the night campaign is the the reframing of nighttime uh, culture and activity as something that is actually cultural and something that is uplifting and uh, uh benefits your mental health and not like pure hedonism you know what i mean yeah. like that is that idea is changing slowly but now we're in the middle of this uh, and we're trying to get out of it and we're in the position where you still have to convince people who are overly cautious and who don't want to put a foot wrong that we need to move forward. So, but just, I guess I think 
you know, it's like with the pilot events, yeah, we can look at Liverpool and we can look at all this, but there's loads of examples out there of people of countries that are, I'm sure there's countries like us who are being very conservative as yeah. well. You know, we're not hearing about those. Like I said, you don't you don't see a, an article about, oh, they, they put on a 500 capacity uh, social distance gig in, I don't know, wherever. Like, yeah. it could be anywhere. But you know what I mean? It's like, you just don't see those kind of things. So... I think so. What would you like to see next? Then, what what do you think we could we should be working towards, and what do you think um, practically the industry and and people around it can do? I think that like what you said there about like um, Andrea about people like the music industry has thrived in spite of the certain thing. You know what I mean? Those those limited budgets that get provided to the arts council and and to cultural enterprises in general to like fund this because it, like music like. I'm a commercial recording artist, you know, like I've, I've made money through the work. And when I was a smaller artist, I made money. And then as I got bigger and I never handouts and, and not handouts, I don't want to sound like dismissive of it. Like, but like, like I never expected that money. I never counted on it. I, and, and, and I would say that if you talk to every other musician in my position and bigger or relatively smaller, they would say the same thing that like, we'll turn uh, like a penny into a euro. Like it's not about, um, it's, 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 like that's probably the as much the problem as anything is that like we we always have found a way to succeed like in you know 2008 2009 when the world collapsed that was literally when i started my music career and there were places like block t all these amazing spaces that like you go and combine with other artists they got taken away when the world like the world got back to normal and we got back to like you know the Celtic tigerish ways and mm. stuff and at that point like my career was was thriving and i was only concerned with my career i wasn't I wasn't turning around trying to see what was going on in the Irish music scene. How could I help? And and, and in this last year and a half, because I've been here, I've been doing as much as I can to try and engage with as many people as possible, bring people into the studio, try and do as much work to try and provide as much like help and relief and, and, and release and musical output for people as possible. But the government has to fundamentally appreciate that, like, what we provide is good. And, and it's like, it's almost like you have to all go on strike for a week for them to fully appreciate mm. what it is that we bring to this country. And because that will never happen and because we're never going to get to a point where, you know, like all musicians are going to down tools or, or not take that photo with that person or not do that thing, there'll always be that one person that will do it. And there's this argument that could be made that last, like last week, I saw a certain amount of people going like, why are you, why are you being part of this thing? Mm -hmm. and, and I would say that I was being part of it because I went, I entered into it in good faith. I believed in the thing. I still believe in it because I think that it was something that could be rolled out. It would have to be scale back in terms of its logistical ridiculousness. And I think you would have to give the art, the music industry a lot more credit in its ability to articulate those events in a safe way without all the bells and whistles that got provided. So that's what I want to see next. I want to see them. I want to see someone on a governmental level saying, we don't think that some dude singing a Kings of Leon song in a fucking bar in Temple Bar is going to be the difference between a super spreading COVID event or not. People are going to be in pubs in a couple of weeks or in, in indoor dining they're not going to be in there with tape measures, making sure people are fucking meter apart. But out in a field, they were two meters apart. One person, two meters, one other single person like that's you have to you have to treat it fairly. You have to treat the music industry with the respect that it deserves. And it would take I think it takes maybe a few other bigger musicians coming out as well and saying the same thing. That's tough because music is a competitive sport. Everybody is always kind of weirdly competitive with each other. It's it's a tough thing to try and unify everybody, but it has to happen because like like I'm fine, like I'm lucky, I'm fine. I got to sit in my arse for a year and a half, and financially, it doesn't have any impact on me. That's a blessing, but it's not the same for everybody else. It ha it's like 
it's it's about like the conversation tends to be about bigger events and stuff like that but i'm honestly mm. here more in concerned with wedding bands and people in bars singing cover songs that aren't allowed to mm. and that conversation isn't happening they kind of broached the subject but they didn't come back on it and they need to come back on it they need to say that that's fine that's safe because it is fine and it is safe if it's safe as as you said like if two thousand people in like outside the Wellington Monument drinking totally fine and totally safely all last summer. And you could have just put a stage there and had people sing. I, I put a proposition to the government to say, can we put some stages up and I'll go and play for free. I'll get friends to play for free. And again, they came back and said it was that they needed to be more cautious and different things. And that, that shit is beyond my pay grade. That's beyond most of our pay grades. But fundamentally, use your eyes and ears. You can see that this stuff is safe and that the music industry is so goddamn professional that they can pull this stuff off with their hands, with one hand tied on their back. Mm. There is, yeah, yeah I, I something that has been really I think compounded by the pandemic is the sort of rot that is deep within the government's relationship to the music industry mm -hmm. and I think it's been here yeah. for a really really long time and not singling any particular politicians out but you know you know when you when when you see a politician going to a Kylie Minogue show or a Lizzo show or something and that is being seen as you know supporting the arts and is, is, yeah. isn't it great to have culture in Ireland but then when you have something like the 2008 financial crash or you have something like the COVID-19 pandemic and the, the whole industry is wiped out because people cannot afford to play for free because yeah. it is yeah. a job then there is very little onus there's 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 only really a response once it is asked for and i think we really yeah. really saw that with the pandemic it it took a while for the government to, to to respond and i think that after the pandemic there is going to be a lot more conversation that there, there is a lot more conversation that needs that needs to happen once we do get quote unquote back to normal there's there's yeah. more there's more that needs to be done for musicians beyond getting more more arses and seats at gigs. Like it, we we need to start treating musicians like they have jobs because they do. I yeah, I would say that fundamentally, like there has to be a wider respect for a part of like there's these huge swathes of society that like I, I think governmentally are just get ignored or just assume. They will they will subsist or they will exist or they will yeah. some of them might thrive but like they aren't the focus of the attention and, and I think like the way I look at it is that like like I, I got into music because I love making music I was obsessed with it as a child I made music once you achieve a certain level of success your life it kind of changes and you're suddenly about like trying to like maintain that lifestyle and grow it and mm. uh, you make a lot of money you want to make more money like I, it's it's all these different things it's not wildly different to being a politician where like politicians i seem for the most part get into it because they actually want to be public servants and they want to help people some people probably don't get into it for that reason they get into it for like less sincere reasons but once you achieve a certain amount of power then all of a sudden it becomes about maintaining that power and trying to like bring your friends up as well it's 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 like so like politicians need to get back to a point where like what we did last week what i was trying to do was put on the greatest show that was possible based on the fact that we haven't played in a year and a half so that if there were politicians in the building if they had that spirit of like i remember why i got into this to yeah. help people that they could stand in a field or they could watch that live stream or whatever it was or watch me on the news and say okay look at those people look what this can bring to people remember that point where like you remembered what Though that that group of society that you've maybe just not focused on, so you focused on these other bigger multinational companies, or that it's it's 
the conversation has changed over the years and it's become more about these bigger entities than the individual. And what I was trying to do last week was trying to create some sort of humanistic face to the music industry here and say, look what we can do, look what we can bring. And that conversation needs to happen. And it's not just for this. It's obviously like the housing crisis, all these different things. It's, it's all connected. I don't believe that those two situations are, aren't intertwined in the sense that like, mm. like, it's it's the same it's it's the same like the, the, those cuckoo funds wouldn't have been part of a conversational tone they've been existing in the city for years but it was only when they bought a housing estate in Kildare or Kilkenny that every everyone was like whoa what's going on and then even still the government are still like well we don't want them doing that but we still do want them like buying up these huge apartment blocks in the city and it's like why 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 is that just an accepted platform why is that an accepted thing it's just, it's 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 obviously I'm sort of tangentially going off here but my fundamental point is like there's the government has to get back to helping people that aren't looking for handouts. They aren't looking for anything. I'm not like, I'm not on here. I'm not last week. Wasn't like, give us money to like, you know, fund this industry so we can go play free shows. We're just looking for like a viable opportunity to get those people that have been fucked over for a year and a half. And we're past the point now of it. Like last year, tonally, you couldn't come out and be like, bring shows back because it was like, we're in the midst of this thing. We need to protect people. And everyone, everyone in this industry was a willing participant in that because we all understood what was at stake. Hmm. But if you see other industries thriving and getting back to normal or whatever the version of normal is now, and you see these other industries still being left behind because it gets thrown this idea of caution, you have to be cautious. And you're like, where's the fairness in the caution? Where's the, where's the caution scale? I, I just yeah. haven't, no one showed it to me, you know. And I, I, yeah. I, I think there, there would be a lot more trust if, if there was just some guidance given. If it wasn't just this yeah. constant, you know, if, if they, if the government came out and said, okay, when the, when the transmission rate is at this, then we can do this. Instead of having yeah. these kind of arbitrary dates where it's like, oh well, this week we can have people in hotels, and this week we can have people in pubs, and this week we can have people outside or inside or whatever yeah. it is. It doesn't seem like it. It it doesn't seem like there's much piloting going on in in those sorts of spaces, pubs, and so on. It, it, it's sort of just like, well, let's let's cautiously inch by inch get this open. Yeah. But then the music industry doesn't have that afforded no. to it at all. Yeah, we have the roadmap that you know stops on. It says July fifth. We got uh, restrictions and uh, fifty cap at most venues. Hundred cap can attend events in larger venues. Outdoor two hundred cap for most venues. Five hundred max for outdoor venues, uh, with a minimum accredited capacity of five thousand. And then August, nothing confirmed after no. that. But nothing after that. And that's the why I'm like the vagueness of well, outdoor like, venues is incre is incredibly frustrating because an outdoor venue in this country is Crow Park and it's also Ivy Gardens. Like there's yeah. no how how on earth can you say that f a five hundred capacity in both of those spaces? is fair like that's it's it's completely ridiculous we have we've plenty of uh irish acts here that could play a a more limited capacity crow park but that's mm -hmm. it's just there's no there's no desire there to take any risks and I, I i i don't mean public health risks i mean financial risks um or risks in terms of what how it would look um yeah. and yet we can have I sports in those yeah it's it's, yeah. it's optics right that's it the word optics got used a lot last week mm. and that was what set off my argument with this one gentleman on the day was i was like like if you're gonna mil you if you need to do this then you need to do it on a military level you need to like police every single aspect of this from start to finish because anything other than that is performative i was like you keep saying optics to me but i am in this to pay wages for people 
I and and these are humans. These are humans that have been put through a year and a half of like, you know, we've all been through it, but like the music industry has been really hard done by it. And I think that we're at that point now, like I said, where like it's it's you talked about like this no one's talking about risking, you know, human welfare or like human safety. It's it's not it's if we if we accept that we're into this like like opening up stage, and I think we all do, then as you said, Niall, that they, they they've pushed the conversation to a certain point. But it still feels performative to me. I want to see it tangibly written down on paper because mm. this industry deserves it. And 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 I wouldn't. I just. I didn't want to. I don't want anybody to think that I was part of something last week. I was so proud of what we did last week. And if you were there mm. now and you saw it, like it was a strange premise, and I had to work really, really hard to try and make it work for five hundred people spread across the full. Field. Yeah, but I every, mean, the show every, was great. The show yeah. was brilliant, and and you should be commended for that, and and rightly so. And but I I, I can just, imagine there was a sense of betrayal though when when you're told at the beginning that it will be one thing and then on the day of the show you're being told about optics that's not a nice place to be no i wouldn't say betrayal because i think that the conversation organically moved over the course of weeks and we always knew we were pragmatic like i went into it from a pragmatic perspective i didn't think this is going to be this i i I hoped it would be like the uk Mm. but like the the year and a half of of the last of like being in ireland last year and a half, excuse me, suggested that that wasn't going to be ultimately where they landed, that they were going to have a conversation on like a cabinet level and they were going to come back with something that was much more like or much less ambitious, Mm. which is exactly what happened. So there was no no one at any point was like, we've completely changed the script on you. But I think last year there was a thing that we did called Songs from an Empty Room. Mm. And one of my old tour managers, Ronan, who's an amazing human being in the music industry, Ronan Murphy, he was was managing the night and he gave us this speech where he was like, if we do this right, this there's government people here tonight. And if they see how well we do, if we like get everything, everyone in their dressing rooms, no one, then we can reopen, you know, this is it. And I remember thinking, what a beautiful and ridiculously naive instinct to have for such a smart person, because he was so desperate for this to happen. But I'm, I'm, you know, I've been doing this 10 years and I've existed on a certain level for 10 years. I understand how it works. I understand that, like, people say a certain thing and what they actually deliver on is, is going to be a, a mild part. Mm. So I didn't go into last year or last week thinking, fuck, yes, this is it. I just didn't want to be the guy that was on the cover of every newspaper and then just sailed off into the sunset. Like, I've done my part. Mm. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm here to engage on the on a level that whatever level people need to need to engage on to try and keep the conversation going. And I would hope that other people would join me in that conversation. Yeah. And I think, so looking forward, I think the major thing now is that we don't have anything in terms of guidelines for no. any kind of events. And you, I don't know if you get the same thing, but I'm I'm constantly surprised by the number of people who, I got a message maybe yesterday that was like, uh, Niall, is the Caribou gig in the Ivy Gardens happening on July 9th? I was like, no, of course it's not. (laughs) How could it possibly be happening? But there are still people there who have that hope. And I kind of go, okay, I'm in this. I'm looking at this. But like, you know, for people who aren't paying attention, there there seems to be that kind of idea. It's like the electric picnic thing. It's like, oh, is electric picnic going to happen? And we focus on electric picnic as this. A white whale that's going to happen and then it maybe it's going to happen and then you know it's just like i just can't it's not going to happen because of the uh, the evidence we've seen from the last few months and uh, the fact that we don't have a roadmap the fact that you need insurance the fact that to plan something like that you need huge numbers you yeah. need you need you need production you need all you need advanced planning and we currently still don't have the advanced planning or guidelines at all about any of this stuff how i'm operating is 
October is when I'm looking at things will definitely be back by then. But look, I don't know because who knows? Who does know? Yeah. But I'm that's more kind of my my hopeful, my cautious, optimistic uh, approach is like, all right. So I I run a club night called Lumo. I want that to happen on the 23rd of October. Um, and that's what I'm hoping for by that point. But also, I want gigs before. I know there's gigs booked in the Olympia. But wouldn't stuff, wouldn't like, October be such a missed opportunity to make the most of outdoor venues in the summer? Like oh, to just to, like even even everything that we know about how the virus spreads is that you are so much more safe outside. No, no, no mm-hmm. matter what situation you're in, the v- ventilation is, is kind of key. And that's a message that hasn't really, uh, when you look at a lot of other governments, they've been really pushing that when it comes to reopening pubs and reopening indoor spaces. It's not really something that our our government has been leaning into a lot. But what what a missed opportunity for, for larger gigs outdoors and larger kind of just cultural events, fairs, you know, a fet, you know, just things, nice, yeah. nice things to do on a Sunday. Um, I just don't see what what the presence of music changes about having a thousand people or more sitting in Stevens Green or Phoenix Park where there's no regulation. Surely putting a stage there will, will mean that there will be regulation. There'll be people saying, hey, but we need to maybe keep this a bit safe, etc., it just feels mad to me that we're just going to go to the rest of the summer with incredibly overly distanced gigs. And then in October or November, and I absolutely agree with you now, I foresee this happening. October or November, once we get to a certain stage of vaccinations, then it's we're, we're going to trial the same stuff, but indoors. So much yeah. far behind where we could be if we actually got some like scientists and public health experts involved in the conversation to do with live music you know it's frustrating uh, it's massively frustrating and everything that you're saying is is, is like i couldn't agree with you more like i think that it, it would be such a missed opportunity i think that if i was to be like a, a cynical cynical minded human i think that maybe when tourism becomes a bit more of a factor i think the music industry might get dragged along with it a little bit because i think that That's like again point. we are sort we are again sort of like the unwanted stepchild while also providing vast amounts of money for yeah. like well, for whatever reason we we're like very low down the hierarchical scale of need in terms of government talking points but other industries that are inextricably tied to us and need us mm. need not not me per se but like need that person to sing like the Lou Kelly song in a in a bar in Baltimore Cork I was in Baltimore Cork yesterday and it was like it's June and it was one of the hottest days and it was like suspiciously weirdly quiet because there's no tourists like there's Irish tourists Mm. we can only like fill a finite amount especially on a Monday morning so like there's it's going to get a point really quickly where the government are like we need those Americans and we need those continental Europeans Mm. here and I think that that might drive the conversation I agree with you I don't think we're going to get back to like you know glorious open sky shows um, anytime soon but I think my hope and it's it's a depressing hope because it's not necessarily based on what we did last week it's based on what I just said which is that like tourism is a huge driver of the economy here that like that might mean that those musicians that need that 100 euro 150 euro per night to play covers gigs might get back to work Mm. and uh, wedding bands might get back to work because they are kind of like that's how musicians subsist until they get back to the other stuff or that's how they start. So that's kind of where my instinct is. The bigger shows I obviously want to happen. I'm ambitious for that stuff. I'm also incredibly pragmatic and realistic because for a year, the country has shown, like on a governmental level, 
has shown no real appetite to engage on those conversations. Mm -hmm. So people booking in shows for, you know, August, September are doing it at their own risk, but obviously want it to happen and need the money. So I get that. It's it, it, it's a, it's a very good point and a very sad point um, about the, mm. the link between um, tourism and the music industry. And I think that that's been something that we've seen even before the pandemic, you know, that that um, our, our art scene is something that is there. It exists to bring tourists to Ireland and yeah. our artists, um, you, you know, we're, we're, we're tearing down cultural spaces to build hotels to put the tourists in and the tourists aren't yeah. they're literally not going to have anything to look at when they come here and i think that yeah. we're, we we are going to see that attitude persist um when when we reopen because of of course when when uh <laughs> when we reopen to tourists especially american tourists of course we want we, we want to then and by we, I mean the government then want want to roll out our musicians and say, oh, well, look, this is what you came here for. Aren't, aren't we brilliant? Yeah. Don't we have such a brilliant c- cultural landscape here in this country when really nothing has been done to support that? And I wouldn't blame any artist for downing tools. I really wouldn't. Yeah. Like it, it, if it was any other industry, <laughs> there would have been more than one strike by now. You know? I don't think they will, though. And I think, no. again... That's but I think that that's probably in and of itself incredibly uh, like speaks to the determination of musicians to make it work, but also is a reason why we're having to have these conversations and there's not some gigantic lobbying group working on behalf of us to kind of like not be again, not behalf of me, but on behalf of like jobbing musicians everywhere, Mm. because we will just make it work. Musician, it's a vocation. It's isn't yeah. an, like some put upon occupation. Musicians want to do this. People in the arts like want to do this. They they're used to the ebb and flow of their financial reality. Their their, their well sense of well being isn't necessarily tied or hasn't been tied historically to how much money they make. It's the fact that they get to play shows or they get to put on that event or they get to paint that picture and put it on a wall in the gallery and sell it. It's 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 based on that. And because we'll always figure it out. I think there's the conversation, the government doesn't appreciate the industry because they know, fuck it, they'll figure it out. Yeah. They're not They're not going to leave this industry. Some people will, and there have been some really, really sad, really tragic stories that need to get talked about in terms of people whose like mental health has fallen apart because of this year and a half and the uncertainty that surrounds all this. And this is a huge, another, another huge part of why I did the show last week and why I want to have these conversations is because it's not just an economic thing, it's as much a yeah. mental health thing. But that's this is this is the problem is that musicians are so determined like i just say musicians i don't want to like negate like the other vast parts of the cultural sector it's just this is i'm speaking from my obviously position of of relative expertise Mm. they'll they'll figure it out they're never gonna give up so if the government is like you need to sit home for another five or six months they'll sit home for another five or six months they'll figure it out because they're gonna that's this is what they're they're in it for they're in it to play music but because that's gone on for so long now that the interaction on a governmental level is so passive to this industry where they just think they'll exist, they'll subsist from time, they'll thrive when we thrive, they'll thrive when tourism thrives, they'll thrive when there's people here to, to spend money. Economics, if people are making money, then they're spending money on tickets. So it's like, we're like the end of the the equation. We're not part of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I would love it to be where we're part of the equation on it much further <laughs> towards the Yeah, front. isn't that just like part of the, the idea of, of how music is taught about and culture yeah. is taught about in this country and we you know support for spaces and venues and all that kind of thing we are lacking in the in that way of the recognition of the importance of it and the power of it as well like the power yeah. of music like the, the fact that you even have to talk about 
like that music is powerful and maybe that's one of the reasons why there's a cautious approach to having people in a field because you know music move, moves people and therefore they might all go crazy that, they might crazy. they might do things they don't <laughs> want to yeah and like you know and then you introduce alcohol into the equation and we obviously have a complicated issue with alcohol as well so like but it's fine to open the pubs <laughs> Yeah, you just you, know, you like, just can't have a guy singing Christy Moore in the corner because then people no, will go mad. Yeah, yeah, trying to unpack it all and how in- interconnected and how fucked up it all is yeah. is you know we could be here for hours talking about it because you're you're yeah. absolutely right. There is like you can't music is linked to alcohol is linked to like belligerent behavior. That's that's how certain people like maybe older people or like the boomer generation or like some politicians think of it. Mm. It's completely incorrect. If anything. Adding events like adding event staff to South William Street would have made that a completely viable situation. Like, I, like I know that's a ridiculous thing to say, but it's completely true. I, I would, like, I would go hard on the 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 event, the event prowess of the music industry is unparalleled, and they're all just sitting there waiting to be activated. Like, yeah. put them to work, let them do their job, let them like make sure that those people don't get away from themselves because that's what they've been doing safely and securely. I've never been in a festival that has has looked anything like what happened on South William Street in my entire yeah. life. Yeah, and I've been at and some I tell of the you, festivals I, w- I walked around there the the afternoon of that <laughs> happening. I was in buying a record, and I got the Shane O'Connor book, and I was like. Everything is very well closely packed together. The toilets and and everyone else, all these areas that are open, they're just like so packed tightly, mm-hmm. and it just felt like it was you're starting a pressure cooker. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're trying- exactly. Whereas you, you you get one festival organizer in there to consult, they'll be like, okay, well we obviously can't have all the toilets together because that's ridiculous. No. Because if we did that yeah. electric or picnic, all of the it'd people be together mayhem. And- yeah. 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 So it didn't make any sense. And that's and that was why I was kind of going like, Jesus, you need to get these people like actually organized and yeah, so. event planned and, and all that. And imagine imagine if they had a bit of music to be looking at. Like would they well, would they you again, know, like another thing that doesn't get talked about, like like the reason like I've in my entire life of living in Dublin City, I've never seen a bunch of random kids jumping on top of fucking taxis in the city centre. But I've also never seen a year and a half where those kids haven't gotten to go to longitude festival and like scream at the top of their lungs mm. like there, there there is a connection between these things that does have to get talked about that like it's not just about like it's the same way that they talk about like outdoor summer like it's all alfresco fucking dining and shit it's it's not it's it's like you have to account for all the different variables and all mm. the nuances and like outdoor summer for some people is doing a bunch of pills and going to a dance festival that has to like that's an accepted reality that's a reality that all of us have experienced to some degree or like music outdoors and it's all done in a controlled environment, like because yeah. event staff know that there are some kids that are going to be off their faces and they know to take care of those kids. They know to look after them. It's it's it's, it's like a it's a weirdly holistic like festivals are a weirdly holistic thing. Like it's it's not this like, fuck you, I don't want you to be here. Like everybody is there. It's accepted. It's understood. It's embraced. And that's been lost. Mm. So all those kids have all this energy that they don't know what to do with. And it doesn't get talked about enough. It, no one was like, oh, if these kids were just able to go to like, you know, some like club night and like dance, would they be less inclined to jump on a taxi? Obviously, I can't say A leads to B, but you can kind of, you can you you can surmise that yes, yeah, maybe those kids would be less inclined to be acting. Well, the outlets, the lack of outlets mean yeah. that you know your your energy has to go somewhere. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's negative, sometimes it's positive. If you look at antisocial behavior, it's an evolving thing. James, yeah. I really uh, uh, appreciate your time uh, for talking to us and uh, appreciate taking the time to debrief. Yeah, thank you so gig. much. 
Uh, no worries. It's much appreciated. And uh, hopefully the next time we talk, it'll be in a more positive light. I mean, it is positive as well, but, you know, I hope we will have more um, positive things to look forward to and events to look forward to. Yeah, me too. Me yeah, too. So. When I was five, I talked too much. When I was ten, I think I started losing my touch. Then now the reason that you'll never find me. I come home every night, it's just me and my friends. Me and my friends. Me and my friends. It's just me and my friends. Me and my friends. Me and my friends. It's just me and my friends. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.